Hi, I'm Jonathan Sposato, owner and publisher of Seattle Magazine. The Seattle Podcast showcases why Seattle is a world-class city at the heart of ideas and innovation that impact the entire world. This is a city that punches above its weight and is a world-class city even if others may not know it yet. We let you in on the city's great stories, diving deep into the city's most exciting and interesting issues via guests from the world of politics, TV, science, sports, music, and culture for often deeply insightful conversations. You will leave inspired. Start here. Go everywhere. Recent consumer data confirmed that 78% of people believe owning a home is a key life achievement, and 65% credit home equity gains as a key factor for building intergenerational wealth. The freedom to choose where and how we live is also a core value of American life. But the options, at times, can seem finite, especially for those with low and moderate incomes. Today's guest is an expert in real estate. He's a successful businessman whom I've always felt brought a big city ethos to our corner of the country. Seattle Magazine years ago included my next guest among the city's shapers, and Puget Sound Business Journal recognized him among the top 100 most influential leaders. Having succeeded in real estate in larger cities like San Francisco and Vancouver, B.C., he has been heading one of the largest residential sales and brokerage companies in our region. Please welcome my good friend, Dean Jones of Logic Sotheby's. Hey, Dean. Great to see you, Jonathan. So excited to be here with you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for joining me. This is going to be a fun conversation. So sometimes I like to start with some fun things, especially with people that I've known for many years. And so we're going to do some rapid fire questions, if you don't mind. Uh-oh, okay, okay. Some fun things. Bring them Just on. Off the cuff here. Um, what is the best advice that you've ever received? You'll get through it. You'll get through it. It just, you know, the constant pursuit of your goals, uh, whatever headwinds you're facing, whatever uh, challenges are in front of you, um, sometimes just not to give up. This is advice from my father, who's been a mentor of mine my whole life. And we've been through a lot of challenges, especially of recent. And uh, that's great advice that I just have to remember. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And we'll bookmark those, some of those challenges for later, for sure. Now, what is the worst advice that you've ever received? Uh, put it into the universe. <laughs> you know, I have a lot of faith and I do believe you can manifest um, what you believe. But on the other hand, I also know uh, the harder you work, the luckier you get. Uh, so uh, I so would true. I would just uh, uh, suggest that you can't leave things undone. Uh, you have to direct them on where you want them to go. Very nice. Very nice. And And along those same lines, you know, for what in your life do you feel the most grateful? My modern family, you know, my friends that, uh, especially of recent, become so close to me, uh, realizing this is the family that you choose and not the one that you're necessarily born with. And so a uh, tight-knit group of folks that just we support one another. Yeah, very good, very good. And I try to ask this of, 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 of everyone that, um, uh, whose life experiences that I, that I really respect and admire. So for you also, how has your perspective on the world changed over time? Certainly more global, you know, with this uh, real estate organization being uh, globalized uh, and pulling myself out of my roots 
in Vancouver, British Columbia, where I grew up as a child. Um, I've just had a much broader worldview now and seeing how that ecosystem works and how world events can affect your micro market. So mm. I, I take that on as a responsibility for my company and for my clients to just see where the market's going next and try and get there first, realizing just how many macroeconomic and uh, socioeconomic and political influences can affect um, our industry. So I uh, need to keep a global perspective. Yeah, no, I, that's one of the things I really love about you as a business leader is that you do, you can synthesize from both the sort of the macro and the micro and kind of put sort of a more liberal arts perspective on, you know, synthesizing a bunch of different things happening in different segments to kind of net out at something that really impacts uh, the community. So we're going to touch on a lot more of that stuff to come in a few more minutes. Um, now, if you could live in another time period, what time period would you choose? I would be thrilled to make it there naturally, but I think these next 50 years mm. are going to be fundamentally just remarkable. Um, and, you know, you think about how much innovation is in front of us and, you know, how quickly things are changing. But uh, I want to take my time getting there. But, I mean, wouldn't it be great if we could be doing this again in 50 years and look yeah. back at just how much the city has changed and uh, where on the moon we're living and or perhaps Mars? <laughs> I love it. I feel the same way. I don't want to go backwards. I, I want to, I look forward to the future and I better, I better get my miles in on the treadmill <laughs> That's a little right. bit more. Stay healthy, my friend. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Last one is... What is one secret that you are keeping from even your mom? You know, I think that uh, it would be that we we all have our insecurities mm -hmm. and, um, you know, she, she holds me in such a, a proud light. You know, I never would want to reveal maybe the weaknesses that mm -hmm. you have as an individual. Um, and, uh, you know, we want always them to be happy and proud and, and supportive of you. Right. So you mm -hmm. certainly don't want to drag them through any of the challenges that you're having at mm -hmm. times. But mm -hmm. on the other hand, you know, um, I wouldn't keep that from her if it could help me and help our relationship. Yeah. So, no, I like that. So we have a beautiful yeah. relationship. Good, good, good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, I, I feel that it's only fair that I reveal uh, what would be my secret that I've kept from my mom. And this is the truth. And uh, and I guess it's not going to be a secret anymore after Let's do I it. talk about it, which is that, um, you know, my, my I was raised by a single mom and she couldn't really afford to continue to raise me. So when I was three, she sent me to live with my maternal grandparents in Hong Kong of all places, which was like an amazing experience. And that's sort of the secret. She harbors so much guilt around like, oh, I should have never have you know, left you or, you know, sent you, uh, 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 overseas. But, but my kind of deep, dark secret is that I loved it in oh, Hong Kong. Yes. Oh my God. It was so much, um, I learned so much. Uh, I, I consider myself really, um, honored to have spent so much time being raised by my grandparents. You know, how, how, how lucky am I that they weren't abstract figures that would show up, you know, only on Sunday nights to have dinner with us. I mean, I, I lived with them. It was, uh, it was really neat. So, well, I think Jonathan, that. you have such a, a global perspective on things because you're not locked into a provincial mindset of, you know, living and growing <laughs> up you. in one town in New York and Hong Kong yeah, and now in yeah. Seattle. But I, I, I would say that's similar for myself in that, that living in multiple mm -hmm. cities has that's given right. me more of a, a, a broader view and seeing what potential is even here for us in Seattle. Yeah, that's right. That's a great segue into the, the sort of the media questions that I want to talk with you about. So Dean, you and I are both business owners, entrepreneurs, CEOs. Uh, so for you, what's it like to be the owner of a, a residential real estate uh, brokerage company right now? How's it going? 
Well, it's been a rough ride uh, with these mortgage interest rate increases, but I, I couldn't be more proud of how our RSIR nation has performed through the pandemic and innovating and evolving. Um, you know, we had a couple of incredible years, as most of the housing industry did, which was surprise and delight. Um, but then that was immediately curtailed by Fed decisions to raise mortgage interest rates nine, now 10 times. And as a result through that, you know, really pinched uh, housing demand in general. A lot of people taking a breath. So we're off about 30% year over year for gross sales volumes. Um, but I'm really proud that we've, uh, on the other hand, you know, earned the holy grail of performance. Our 300 real estate advisors are now ranked number one for highest average listing prices sold, buyer prices purchased, um, sales volumes per agent, most productivity per agents, um, lowest days on market, and actually the greatest inventory volumes on a per agent basis. So we, we believe that that has manifested into the trust uh, that we have earned as, as our brand has matured. Uh, and we are uh, so proud of the company we keep, the uh, clients we represent, and the results that our agents curate. That's fantastic. And that's well-deserved and well-earned. And the main reason why I think it's really important for our community of listeners to hear from you, Dean, is that I can count uh, on uh, very few fingers the people who have that ability to have the long view, the synthesis, and a very realistic perspective born out of experience in multiple cities and having seen multiple cycles where you can reflect on what's happening today and and have a point of view about what what's moving forward in the future. So I'm going to start with something that I know uh, a broad section of our audience thinks about, which is obviously home ownership, mm -hmm. right? So um, in a recent report that you turned me on to, uh, the Puget Sound Regional Council reported that the typical rent rate rose 60% and that home values skyrocketed 135% in a broader region since the Great Recession. So that would be from about 2007 to 2009 uh, to now. The PSRC research also shows that metro area rents rose uh, from about $1,500 to $2,400 from 2014 to 2022. And then home values more than doubled from about 332000 to $7. $781,000, et cetera. So, so I guess to, to, to put a fine point on it, Dean, what do you think is the answer to the very complex question of affordable housing? What, what should we all do moving forward? Well, what we're starting to do, even with recent voting and hopefully governor's signature soon, which is to add density mm. to our overwhelmingly single family zoned communities. You know, to put it in perspective, over 80% of the city of Seattle is single family zoning. Wow. Um, compared to say the Bay Area, which is about 38%. Wow. And you know how expensive the Bay Area is, but mm -hmm. they have more multifamily and more density, you know, per, uh, acre per, per square mile, mm -hmm. if you will. So we just need more housing. Mm -hmm. um, and the ADUs and DADUs, you know, the attached mm -hmm. dwelling units yeah. that have become popular and, and sort of the cottage uh, designed homes, which are just more, you know, not so big house, mm -hmm. um, uh, are the right way to go. But with recent legislation, we're now going to see that uh, throughout our larger cities of over mm -hmm. 75,000 population uh, and uh, potentially across the entire state. Mm -hmm. 
So we're heading in the right direction. We need more housing. We have to get out of the way of developers to make that easier to attain through entitlements and through financing and uh, construction litigation, you know, any of those headwinds that are forcing developers back from building Mm -hmm. um, ultimately is going to show back up on the market as higher prices. So more houses, uh, you will have more affordability and uh, actually, I think, uh, better for recruiting and retention for our business and our economy as well. That's great. And and, and we're going to dive into a couple of those things. So I, I know from prior conversations, and this is something that I'm oddly fascinated by the concept of, of greater density, kind of extracting greater value from the current um, uh, lot sizes by uh, via ADUs, right? So there's someone on my team who just created an ADU on her and her husband's property, and her dad lives in this ADU, and it's been a fantastic... So they now have this multi-generational sort of little mini compound where everyone's together, and they spend a lot of face time together. And I found myself really digging deep with her uh, about what that's like. And so so I'm curious to know, like, how come that's not happening more often? What are some of the barriers for most families or people to do ADUs? I think it's just their comfort of understanding how to get that accomplished. I mean, it's relatively new legislation that's allowing it. This is not surprising in other uh, cities that have been a little bit uh, more progressive, perhaps, or let's just say harbingers for where we're heading. Look at my hometown, Vancouver, British Columbia. Hmm. I mean, they upzoned almost all of the major arterials um, that used to be ringed by, you know, um, duplexes or even single family homes are now all upzoned to 35 or 45 foot multifamily. So these are townhomes or or stacked condominiums or apartments. Um, But they did that because they needed to create more affordable, more attainable housing in a, what was otherwise largely single family zoning as well. So, um, I think it's just a comfort uh, for the local population to realize that this is where we're heading. Um, And I mean, obviously you're affecting your property value. I think you're investing in your property value by adding uh, income properties to your existing single family home. Um, And that's not only good for your investment, but it's also great for um, the economy around you because clearly we need more homes and the greatest way to get uh, greater uh, home ownership and uh, affordability is to bring in that inventory. And it can't all be done in the urban centers Mm -hmm. where the existing zoning is already permissive. These are high rise zones, for instance, Mm -hmm. blocks from where we are, you know, Capitol Hill or in downtown Seattle or in downtown Bellevue. Um, The opportunity to create new cities where there is dramatic up zones centered around light rail is also very much a potential, but you can imagine how that would go with the local uh, NIMBYs, the not in my backyards, (laughs) as well as uh, political leaders. You know, it just takes a lot of will and a lot of time to get those kinds of macro changes made. So I I think where we're heading is exactly where we need to go, which is um, adding infill housing. It's Mm -hmm. also much quicker to get developed as well, because, you you know, unlike a high-rise condominium that could be, uh, or apartment building could easily be five or seven years from concept to final closing with entitlements and, and look at how much the world can change in just a year or two. Um, so that's a higher risk profile, which is another reason why, you know, there aren't any groundbreakings going on right now. Um, and so that's an issue. Yeah, very good, because this is a perfect segue to the to one of the things that I'm, I'm deeply curious about. I know that you, you have a lot of thoughts here. There are 
as you mentioned, there are just something like five new condominium projects planned in Seattle right now. I'm not sure if my data is still accurate. Um, uh, uh, two are only two are actually under construction uh, as of earlier this year. There have been more projects in a pipeline, but a few have been canceled or deferred. Um, we think there are only like around 700 units to be delivered uh, in the sort of 2023-2024 timeframe. Uh, and um, uh, so so what does that mean to the layperson? Like what, what, what's happening right now? Um, how should we, we take that data? Simply put, what you see is what you get for inventory. There are no imminent groundbreakings. There has been far more uh, deferrals or outright cancellations of planned condominium projects, especially in Seattle, than there has been um, on go-forward planning. So uh, we have, uh, we're on the tail side of that last condo cycle. Um, and like we experienced after the Great Recession, uh, although the economic situation is different now, um, and I think the market is much healthier than we had experienced during, let's just call it the last housing recession, when mm-hmm. there was a dearth of new supply, um, it could easily be several years before we see more groundbreakings. And again, the challenge is it, the demand can rise much quicker than the supply when you're talking about Mm. Mm high-rises. So we are going to be in, I believe, a remarkable renaissance in the city over these next two or three years at a time that we would actually have much greater demand for that housing, Mm. but it simply won't exist. Mm. The only projects that are delivering in the near future are ones that started construction several years ago. You know, we've got the Greystone that we represent, Mm -hmm. which is the only high-rise condominium that's delivering in the city of Seattle. Wow. This year, there's one condominium tower that's delivering in 2024. Wow. Jonathan, there are zero delivering in 2025. And unless we break ground soon, there won't be any anywhere after that. So we went through four or five years of no supply Mm -hmm. after the Great Recession. And it all comes down to developer risk profiles, construction litigation concerns. There's supply chain issues. um, And frankly, they just don't pencil. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's the reason why we're going to, we're going to go through a dearth of supply for quite a while. I see. So, so kind of the layperson's interpretation, you know, uh, uh, forgive me if I have this sort of wrong, but, but, but the way that I'm looking at is that these, there's a combination of variables here that are in play. One is that we have a dearth of supply. Uh, another one is that that perhaps um, demand will 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 accelerate faster than the supply can be created. Um, so, it kind of seems like now is a good time to buy. Or or how much is that um, uh, 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 sweet spot sort of mitigated by higher interest rates? Like, how do you net out all of those things? Well, I can only speak from experience. Uh, an active project right now, let's just take Greystone yeah, Condominiums. It's yeah. just a few blocks from us here on mm-hmm. First Hill. Um, we have been patiently delivering that building for uh, occupancy by July of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, we have taken our time to reintroduce the product to the market, given all of the stresses on the local housing market. You know, certainly we've had some competition, some price adjustments, and just general the sense of the renaissance of downtown Seattle, you know, with the May 1, um, you know, uh, requirement for large employers like Amazon to say, come back to work, please, at least three days a week. Um, You know, we were waiting for that. But look, we had to uh, mark to market. Um, There has been a decline in median home prices for the in-city condominiums through the pandemic. I would say the in-city market was the only market 
um, that experience declines. And we actually had a net mm. loss of population in downtown Seattle, mm. according to the Downtown Seattle Association. By the end of 2020, we lost 5,000 um, you know, residents. And you know, this was part of that work from home trend. And mm-hmm. everyone seemed to depart the, the urban center off to a salmon stream somewhere and, and, and remote <laughs> right. in. Yes. Um, For about six months. And then yeah. yeah. But I got to tell you, uh, that's changing now. Mm-hmm. I just drove over from Mercer Island and I could tell you I-90 was packed with cars and the city is for sure filling up again. But uh, it is a great time to acquire a condominium now uh, in, in the city because we have a very clear view of the pipeline and that pinched pipeline means that there will be upward pressure on pricing ahead. However, these developers are eager to move that inventory. So in the case of the Greystone, they reduce the pricing one third from wow. its prior pre-sale values. So a uh, building like that is averaging, let's say, uh, $1,100 a square foot, but the replacement cost of that building would require more than $1,500 a square foot. Wow. So until the prices will float a $1,500 a square foot average during pre-sale, it is unlikely developers will go forward with additional condominium inventory. Oh, I see. So yeah. really what you've got to do is you've got to buy the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, your point about interest rates are well heard. Uh, we have gone through a meteoric set of increases with mortgage rates. The Fed's meeting now and uh, intended to increase the bank rate another quarter point. We think that's probably the last mm-hmm. of the increases and then we'll probably head into a declining interest rate mm-hmm. environment. My advice to our listeners and to my own agents is, you know, remember you're, you're, you're dating the rate, but you're marrying the price. So (laughs) the date is temporary, um, but that price, that strike price is with you Mm -hmm. forever. You Mm -hmm. get that benefit ongoing. So Mm -hmm. um, the strategy is to use the leverage you have right now as a negotiation, Mm -hmm. um, take advantage of some of these sharper prices, um, put that purchase and sale together, start living that lifestyle, and then simply refinance in a year or two. Um, developers are getting smart too, like back to the Greystone. They're mm-hmm. offering mm-hmm. what we call a 2-1 buy-down, which is effectively buying the mortgage interest rate down 2% in the first year and then 1% in the second year. So that effectively gives us a mortgage rate for the buyer averaging just over 4% today. Wow. That's cool. I mean, it's been it's been too long since I've uh, really bought anything, and and it's really interesting to hear um, some of the the the, the sort of out of box thinking on how how um, a buyer can be advantaged to do something at this time. No, everything that you said, it, it gosh, Dean, it sure sounds kind of familiar. And I'm I'm of a certain age that I've kind of seen several of these cycles. A- am I kind of hearing that 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 is it sort of history repeating itself here? It is absolutely, but for different reasons. You know, Mm -hmm. we're always going to see supply and demand, you know, fluctuate, you know, approximately over a 10-year period. This has been a good run, you know. um, In the city of Seattle, we were the fastest growing large city. That's right. In the last decade, Mm -hmm. we added 27,000 housing units within walking distance of where we are. Mm -hmm. And uh, the challenge, though, Jonathan, is 93% of that was purpose-built for rent and not for sale. So condominiums, the opportunity to own, um, is a relative rarity. 
Um, the last time we saw a collection of condominium towers pencil and get delivered was between 2005 and six um, with the center city plan, if you recall. Yep. Uh, yep. Mayor Nickel, we were mm-hmm. behind that mm-hmm. um, as well uh, with the first project that went forward with a tall and slender zoning, which was now allowing for more density in downtown Seattle. Um, and But that condo cycle came to a halt with the credit crunch during the Great Recession. And, and the last project that got financed was actually in September of uh, 2008. And mm-hmm. so those buildings delivered a couple of years later, and then there was nothing behind them until 2015. Yeah, so yeah. Um, this time, it's not so much the credit crunch yeah. um, that's stopping the condominium developments. It's just the economics of the replacement cost, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the uh, challenge with uh, entitlements, mm-hmm. supply chain, you've heard a lot about, mm-hmm. um, and just the risk profile of condominiums. Um, and frankly, that's another area we need to work with our legislators on is the Condominium Act, uh, which is uh, a good thing. It's it's consumer protection, mm-hmm. um, but the consumer protection works so well, it scares developers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so this is the idea where you only have 5% earnest money at risk mm-hmm. um, and effectively can walk away from your purchase and sale agreement if you choose not to occupy or close on your condominium several years later. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. You know, this is really a fascinating uh, conversation in a sense that I just realized that despite that you and I have known each other for a number of years, that we have two ends of the spectrum in a sense that, 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 uh, I've always created the things that I've created out of out of nothing, out of thin air, you know, as a tech and media entrepreneur. And whereas I think real estate is about the most kind of tangible, hard, concrete, uh, literally and figuratively manifestation of some of the market forces that are in play. And um, so you touched on the city. Let's talk about the city itself. Um, Seattle certainly has had its challenges lately. And so where do you see things as they stand now? And 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 I, I guess the two specific areas that we can touch on is is um, uh, how downtown is doing, um, your, your outlook with regards to this working from home versus return to the city. Uh, yeah. I hope the worst is behind us. I mean, certainly we're seeing more vitality downtown. It's great to be in the city. We're here, you know, in Liz Dunn's beautiful project. Yes, it's that's reminding right, our me, friend Liz. Yep. This, is, uh, this is an ecosystem uh, representation of what the whole city is and what it can become. Sure is. We innovate, we come together, you know, we will find uses for the real estate. So yeah, there's been, uh, there's been challenges in retail. There's certainly challenges with the commercial reoccupancy. I think Amazon's doing their share with 15 million square feet saying, please come back to work at least three days a week. Uh, and other businesses are following. Um, that's going to be a good thing for the support system, uh, you know, retail and hospitality and uh, just general uh, security and livability of downtown getting on its feet again. Um, but it will take some time. You know, I think that the worst is behind us. Um, I certainly am seeing more positive uh, indications between um, our, our city leadership uh, and the, the police department with uh, changes within uh, intervention and enforceability of, of, of some laws that have been challenged not to get political. But, you know, if it's not safe 
or you don't feel safe to be downtown, then that's not going to be your preference. But just as quickly as the light dimmed, um, that light can brighten and we will recover. Um, I would not bet against Seattle. Um, we will be a different version of ourselves on the other side of this pandemic. Uh, and there is this sort of social reawakening. I would, uh, I would compare it to, um, perhaps a hundred years ago with the roaring twenties, you know, mm-hmm. after the Spanish flu and just uh-huh. how people right. wanted to come back together. Remember that? Yeah. We weren't around for that. No, we weren't around, <laughs> but, but I've seen the movies. <laughs> yes, of course. I mean, it looked like a pretty good time. <laughs> yeah, it did. Um, so I do think that the city will reinvent itself, that, um, there will be increasing, uh, demand to come work together again. Um, that, uh, these apartment buildings and condom bill, these apartment buildings and condominiums will populate completely and um, we will have a, a more vital downtown. Yeah, that's great. And you mentioned our good friend Liz Dunn, who is behind Chop House Row and some of these other iconic properties on Capitol Hill. And, and Liz and I go way back uh, to the days when we were at Microsoft. But one of the things that I love about both you and Liz is that you sort of bring uh, a more international and big city uh, sensibility that, that, that both of you have been inspired by uh, doing work and having successes elsewhere. I know Liz spent a a lot of time in Paris and New York and things like that, and those those and she's brought some of those ideas to this very location here at Chop House Row. So, do you, do you feel like that right now? What are what are some ideas that that have really worked out in other metropolitan areas that you would that you wish that Seattle did more of? Well, we relate to the game with light rail, you know, mm, so clearly that's going to be good a game one. changer. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we could have started earlier with our waterfront and celebrating it, moving from that's a, another a working yeah. waterfront to something that might be more uh, hospitable for uh, guests uh, visiting as well as the residents uh, and businesses. Um, certainly, I would say Vancouver, BC and San Francisco are two cities I'm very familiar with and very fond of, um, but both carry that card, which is being a world-class waterfront city. Um, both have also um, invested in the vitality uh, and the uh, residential occupancy of the city. That mm-hmm. was something that the city of Seattle adopted in 2006 with the center city plan, with that up zone that we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we're doing a lot of what needed to be done um, as the city was maturing and moving from more of a provincial mindset to that of a global city on the rise. Um And what we know is going to happen is the real estate values are going to follow. And this Mm -hmm. is why I have great confidence in making, as you say, the concrete investment Mm -hmm. into owning a slice of that city, whether it's uh, a business or it's a a retail operation or a condominium itself. Um, These cities will not fail. They have been through worse. They have been Mm -hmm. bombed. Uh, They have been, uh, you know, through economic recessions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, if we were just to take your hometown, uh, Mm -hmm. New York, um, a great quote by by Nikki Field, who's uh, one of the top real estate agents there uh, in Manhattan with Sotheby's International Realty. Mm -hmm. She was the first to coin, um, it's beyond back. Mm -hmm. Um, The repopulation of the city um, has, has made an abundant return. Um, It might be priced sharper. Um, Mm -hmm. It might not always feel good for those that uh, had to make a move, you know, during uh, a time of correction, Mm -hmm. but the demand never went away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right, right. And by the way, I still am uh, really loving uh, a statement that's echoing in my mind right now that you made earlier, which is that you um, date the rate, but you marry the uh, 
price. Yes. Yeah. So, so that's uh, uh, really an important thing to sort of focus on. Let's go a little bit further on, on this as it relates to Seattle. How would you advise anyone uh, to be part of the solution? And 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 not not be on the sidelines or or um, or only complain, right? What would you advise people to do more of? Well, take advantage of some of these legislative changes that um, are before us, mm. and talk to your realtor, mm. uh, talk to your wealth manager. You know, look at your investment profile and say, hey, is this a good move for me to look at? You know developing on my single family lot? Mm. Or is this a good time for me to um, sell uh, and downsize from a larger single family home into a single level lock and leave condominium, for instance? Mm-hmm. You know, these are trends that I'm I'm suggesting. Um, and just pay attention to the trends. And just because the headlines are saying, oh, home prices are dropping, sales are, I mean, approximately 30% um, lighter year over year right now. Mm -hmm. So the volumes of sales are down, which has a lot to do with the mortgage rates. Mm -hmm. Well, does that mean that it's a poor time to buy? It's actually the other way around. It's a great time to buy because you're going to get a better deal and Mm -hmm. and you're going to have the benefit of that lower strike price forever. Mm -hmm. You can refinance in a year or two. Mm -hmm. So um, my advice would be to look at the silver lining in all of these challenging times. And there is always going to be real estate investment opportunities um, and you need to be well advised and that requires a conversation. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay. Kind of a selfish question. Where would you buy right now? Where would you? Where if if I said, "Hey, Dean, I've got uh, X number of dollars. I'm I'm kind of a believer. I'm kind of sensing again as, as someone who's kind of seen these cycles come and go. Hmm. You know, history may repeat itself here. Where would you advise me to buy to look? Well, it's always going to be the the rarefied asset classes like waterfront, for instance. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, uh, it's it's literally a liquid asset, right? Uh, I mean, right. we've got um, a, a waterfront report coming out actually here oh, in a couple right? of weeks, and we're going to launch into our uh, our annual floating house, which is our floating open house for mm-hmm. uh, anyone that might be inclined to join us on the boat. Uh, yeah, let's uh, actually, if I can interrupt you for a second, uh, uh, that sounds fascinating. Um, level set our listeners to. Exactly. Why Why did you say that waterfronts rarefied? Of course, we understand the inherent reasons why uh, they're rarefied. There's just not that much of them and all that. But are there uh, some fundamentals or, or some numbers that you can provide that, that, that makes them um, truly a rarefied asset class? They are few and far between mm-hmm, in terms mm-hmm. of ever coming onto the market for yep. one. So we're doing as many off-market transactions as we are on-market. I I mean, our largest one in the last couple of years was $60 million and it was off-market. Yes, um, right, so right, there's right, a lot right. of global wealth coming yep. to our yep. region, mm-hmm. a lot of that being made here as well. Mm-hmm. And it seems to be the asset class that's most in demand from a lifestyle perspective mm-hmm. and also from a portfolio perspective. Mm-hmm. So um, generally speaking, it seems like the wealth wants to head towards the shoreline. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can take microclimates like Hunts Point mm-hmm. or Medina or uh, Mercer Island, mm-hmm. um, or we could jump out into Bainbridge Island or mm-hmm. up into the San Juan Islands. Um, we actually have a condominium development called Infinity Shore Club Residences, which is right oh. on Alki Beach. 
Neat, neat. Um, and that's the first of its kind too, mm. being a condominium estate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's trying to go with that same uh, genre of super prime trophy property, but do mm-hmm. it in a condominium format. I see. And the confidence to build a property like that uh, stemmed directly from seeing um, the, the trends elsewhere along Lake Union and Lake Washington. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, generally speaking, you know, the view is preserved. There's always inherent demand, um, light supply, a uh, lot of, uh, real estate is being handed down through the generations, which is one of the reasons why there's lighter inventory. Um, and so for that reason, supply and demand, um, floats your boat. I love that. And, and as the builder of my own house uh, told me many, many years ago now, uh, that if you can be near to water, have a view of the water, can kind of smell the water, it can add years to your life. So there's an incalculable value to that. It's something we actually do have a relatively high level of supply. It doesn't come on the market often, but if mm-hmm. you look at how many homes ring these beautiful lakes and waterways, and I've been to your beautiful home and you certainly mm-hmm. enjoy you. that view of Elliott Bay and the Olympic Mountains, but that is the gift of the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. That is something that can never be taken away from us due to pandemic or mm-hmm. geopolitical issues or otherwise. I mean, this is a beautiful place to mm-hmm. live mm-hmm. and we have been discovered. Global wealth has descended onto our cities, onto our shorelines, and um, we are still a relative bargain compared to other West Coast gateway cities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Dean, is the most, um, to someone who is... Um, uh, um, an international buyer from outside of Seattle, and they're considering these different cities. Um, I'm, I'm harboring a belief that sometimes it's how others view us that can inform back on our own worldview of ourselves. So this is the question about what makes Seattle uh, uh, more attractive than, say, San Francisco or New York or Miami. Taxes. A Taxes. Lack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a lack Good of one. an income tax for certain. I think the general propensity for us to... Uh, grow, um, not just in uh, our economy uh, or in our median home prices, but just our cultural community as well. The Seattle metro area really does deliver on the lifestyle proposition as well as the investment prospects. So when you compare to, say, Vancouver or San Francisco, which are both uh, much more expensive, Mm -hmm. not just for uh, real estate or for business operations, but from a tax perspective as well, um, you, you start to scratch your head and you wonder, I mean, how much more growth can come to a market that is already feeling so expensive. And then you compare that to our median home prices and our uh, average incomes of the Seattle metro area, and you can clearly see the runway that mm-hmm. we have in front mm-hmm. of us. Um, there's a lot of propensity for uh, growth and expansion here, and I think that that's the promise of the Seattle metro area. What projects are you most excited about right now that you're working on? Well, I'm, I'm very proud of a project that we did with Tureen Homes uh, in the Totem Lake area mm. called Jade Condominiums. We have sold out. Um, so there's a great example of, 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 of light inventory. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, the Greystone Condominiums just mm-hmm. blocks from us here on mm-hmm. First Hill. Yeah. We are reintroducing that actually this month mm-hmm. with uh, homes being offered at uh, one-third lower prices than they were during uh, the pre-sale effort. Uh-huh. Um, and that is the last of its kind mm-hmm. um, oh, for and several let's talk years. About it. what, what do you mean by that? Like what, what makes that project so unique? 
You know, we have a great sense of timing, um, given that we are uphill from downtown Seattle. I mean, there's been uh, lighter demand in the true urban center, given the last couple of years um, and some of the renaissance that we're now experiencing in the city. So what's nice about First Hill is trees and squirrels and cobblestone streets. Yeah. And, you know, I was just walking past there earlier this morning and there's a lawnmower and, you know, mm-hmm. it feels residential. It feels like the Upper East Side. I was just going to say, like when, when I'm on First Hill, it's, there's like an Upper East Side vibe to it. You know, you can hear birds kind of tweeting and like you said, squirrels and uh, yeah. It's just more residential. Um, it's unique in the sense that there is no commercial development on that block. We have a parklet instead mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, a, a subway store or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a retailer of another sort. Mm-hmm. So it just is decidedly residential. Um, I'm very excited about that. Um, and it makes the investment prospect a little easier to understand because there's nothing coming up behind it. Um, only apartments are being developed in that area. That's the only condominium in many, many years mm-hmm. on First Hill. So if you're looking for ownership, you know, your your options are actually quite slender. What about the other end uh, of the market? What about, um, you know, if we do still have a problem with, with housing being uh, difficult uh, for the segment of folks who have modest incomes, um, w- what are some good answers there? There are some progressive developers that are building cooperative housing. Uh, my own agent, uh, Eddie Chang, is working with a developer for the ULEX at Othello Square, which is uh, 68 units of affordable residential development uh, right on a light rail line. Uh, it mm-hmm. is uh, income uh, restricted for uh, qualification, but it provides similar benefits of home ownership and flexibility, but at a price point that competes directly with rent. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, jumping back to the Greystone with the markdown of pricing, we now offer um, uh, studio and urban one bedroom format homes from the mid to high 300,000s um, with recent Fed decisions uh, encouraging first-time home ownership. We're actually offering mortgage interest rates that can be five-eighths below that of a conventional mortgage for first-time home buyers with lower wow. FICO scores. Um, and then when you add on top of that, the 2-1 buy-down that the developer is offering, we are talking about very attractively priced condominium mortgage interest and monthly payments. And the developer also said for good measure, we won't charge HOA dues for the next year. So collectively that provides you the opportunity to buy into a $350,000 or $400,000 condominium brand new with 3% down and total monthly payments that look more like rent. Wow, that's great. That's 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 really encouraging to hear. So, you know, one of the themes that I'm picking up on in this conversation is that this is really about encouraging everyone to not bet against Seattle. What else would you like our listeners to know about this notion? That we are working through market cycles. And one thing is for sure in real estate, you know, the highs are always higher and the lows are always higher. Mm-hmm. So there is clearly a general trajectory of growth and benefits for home ownership. Um, and even though we have a bruise on the brand of Seattle right now that we're working through, um, it's a phenomenal time to acquire that future, knowing that we are in a renaissance 
months, knowing that the supply is dramatically declining quickly. Um, and my my concern is as we future cast uh, into 2025, and we look around at a time that you know we'll be through this election, we'll be through um, this renaissance, uh, we'll be well past this pandemic. I believe we will be in our new version of the Roaring Twenties, uh, and we're going to see the demand increase, but we don't have the supply to satisfy the demand for home ownership. Um, I have concerns about the rental population, which is uh, continuing to increase. We now have, for the first time in decades, more renters in the city of Seattle than we do have homeowners. And that's a concern of mine um, mm-hmm. because eventually um, the opportunity to acquire uh, your own real estate that you own is going to get further and further from attainability. Um, but now with this new legislation, you know, with ADUs and dad dues and developing duplexes or fourplexes on single family lots, I, I do think we're going to see new formats of housing that's going to bring uh, and balance to that supply and demand challenge that is is very concerning. Um, but no, I would not bet against Seattle. Uh, we've got this, um, you know, back to the wise words of my father going through challenging times, you know, you will get through this. I love that. And Dean, if, if, if the curious person wants to find out even more and dig a little bit deeper into the data, where should they go? Well, we just published our 2023 forecast report and we uh, provided our own perspective, but that as well of local economists and appraisers and other opinion leaders from the president of downtown Seattle Association, the president of downtown Bellevue Association, uh, and collectively um, created a barometer of where we think the market is going uh, with this sort of vision 2025. Uh, And you can check it out on our website on the blog, rsir.com. It's the 2023 forecast report. You just register and download it and it's all yours. Wonderful. Excellent. Dean, I want to thank you. I, I feel like that, that that you've shifted my own mind about where things are. You've given me a lot of inspiration and optimism about the city, which is what we at Seattle Magazine always aspire to do with our community of listeners and our readers. And so I thank you. This has been just an incredibly comprehensive, uh, thoughtful, informed conversation about the state of uh, not just real estate, but really what's happening in our city and the overall robustness of it. So I thank you deeply. So everyone, I would encourage you to uh, look for more uh, about this topic on seattlemag.com. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Seattle Magazine podcast. You can always find us on seattlemag.com. Look for new episodes approximately every two weeks on our website. A special thank you to the entire Seattle Magazine staff and to podcast producer Nick Patry. Contact Lisa Lee at lisa at seattlemag.com for partnership opportunities. Until next time, let's keep celebrating Seattle.